Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightman, and I'm here with the city of Zurich. Uh, our guest today is Ben Reckley. Uh, he's the son of uh, Pastor John Reckley that we talked to a couple weeks ago, and uh, he is a student at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Uh, welcome, Ben. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. What uh, year at the seminary are you in? I'm in my second year, what they call the, the middler year. So, Ben, why don't you uh, let our listeners know what the typical day at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in Mequon is like for you? Sure. Um, so we, we start classes around 730 in the morning. Um, then we have we have two periods of classes in a typical day um, in the morning from 7.30 to about 9.15. And then we take a break um, to worship together in our, in our beautiful chapel. Um, that's, it's a pretty short chapel service, maybe about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then after that, we have um, about an hour of a break um, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at kind of facilitates our choir time. Um, so we, we get to um, prep for upcoming tours or um, singing at local congregations like we do in the fall. Um, or we have an event this weekend that we're, the chorus is singing for. So um, we get to use that time to prep for that with the choir. Um, otherwise, it's just good time to get meetings scheduled in with professors um, since we're all on campus. Um, or to do homework if you have free time. Then we, after that hour, um, so around 10.30ish, we uh, finish the day with two more classes uh, until 12.30, and then have a half hour lunch all together in the cafeteria with some uh, fun seminary shenanigans, and then uh, head off to our respective jobs typically. At, at about one o'clock. So yeah, a couple of questions on that. Hey, Jeremy, have you were you ever thrown into the leper colony at the seminary during lunch? <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to hard to remember a time when that happened. You were that good. You? Oh, I'm sure I was thrown into the leper colony. Uh, how about you, Ben? We can explain what the, well, Jeremy, why don't you explain what the leper colony is? Uh, it's a part of the lunchroom where uh, there's a table or a, a group of tables that uh, you get sent if you have displeased the, the student body at large in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could be that, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe um, you, were, you were singing some, I don't know, I don't know. What are some things that you guys remember being sent to the leper colony for? Well, the reason I'm thinking of the leper colony too is that next week's gospel lesson has the 10 lepers that are healed uh -huh. by Jesus and they would have been in a leper colony. And one of the things I think of that guys were thrown into the leper colony for was if they didn't, if they got engaged and they didn't throw a party and where everyone was invited. So I don't know about what you're thinking of, Ben. Uh, most most recently, we had 
um, someone who uh, forgot the, the blessing at the end of a chapel service, um, which obviously we're not making, we don't like to make, make light of it um, to, to put them down at all, but um, in good humor, he, he took, took it very well too. Um, we sent him to the leper colony for, for that. Yeah. So just an and, example. Yeah. And the leper colony is just a fun thing. You sit off by yourself or with the group. Uh, what kind of, what kind of job do you have after school, Ben? Uh, so I work landscaping, um, a couple different individuals in the, in the area, uh, hire me to, uh, help, help with a lot of different stuff outside. They, they all have some, uh, pretty big yards or, uh, one, one actually owns quite a bit of land, a couple acres of land that, um, he needs help keeping up. So nice to spend time outdoors and get some sun and exercise. Jeremy, what was your job at the seminary? Uh, I had a couple of them. Um, well, my, my junior year, uh, my wife was teaching. So I actually was a stay at home husband. Um, but then at my middle of the year, we had our first child and what was I doing? I was the, um, Oh, I was one of the workers in the kitchen that helped the ladies in the kitchen after lunchtime. Oh, yeah. And then, and then my senior year, I had a sort of a maintenance job at Garden Homes Lutheran Church in, in Milwaukee. Yeah, so cut the, gra- cut the grass and things like that. So we just had a senior from the seminary come down and preach the last two Sundays at Water of Life. And he has the same job at the seminary that I had the first two years. And that's at a cement light pole factory. And so did that the first two years. And, uh, you know, he was saying that he wanted to do that because, you know, all day long is spent doing, you know, thinking stuff with his brain. And this is getting some exercise with his body. And and I agreed. And I said, yeah, you're going to do pastor type stuff for the rest of your life. Might as well do something else for a little while. And then my senior year, I did that pastor stuff. I was a senior vicar helping out Pastor Bob Dick at uh, Divinity Divine Charity in Whitefish Bay. And I was, I just recounted this story the other day to someone uh, where I was roughing a soccer game and one of the kids got a ball right to the face and they broke his glasses and he had to get stitches both on the outside of his eyelid and the inside. And he said it was in the last minute of the game. And I told him that my, the last minute of the last game of my Vicar year playing soccer, someone tripped me and I went flying, did a somersault, landed on my hands. And I thought it was pretty good, except uh, my right wrist was sore and I was a guy. So I didn't go and get it checked out. Uh, it only hurt when I bent my wrist down. So I just didn't bend my wrist. And eventually my wife said, you need to go check, get this checked out. And I had already been at the seminary. So I got it checked out and it, yeah, it was broken. So they put, oh. put a cast on and uh, I, for whatever reason, I said, just put a red cast on. I just thought it'd be funny. So a month later, I was sitting in class that afternoon. I was going to go to the doctor to get it taken off. So I thought, so I took my black marker in my left hand and I made Spider-Man webs on my red cast. 
and I went to the doctor and he x-rayed it and said, nope, it hasn't healed yet. You need to wear it for another month. So now I've got this Spider-Man cast, not just in school, but at uh, Whitefish Bay as I'm (laughs) giving giving communion, giving the blessing and everything else with a Spider-Man cast. Wow, that's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, one of the things we talked to your your dad about, Ben, was how scary it was for him and your mom when you had your heart issues. So uh, he explained, you know, what happened with the the surgery and so forth. If you kind of want to explain from a first person everything that God's done for you with with your heart. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I guess um, details of the process itself. Um, thankfully, I guess this is another thing that I'm very thankful for. I don't remember too much of it, um, of the surgery itself. Um, because obviously I was put on some pretty heavy like pain medications. Um, and they have medications too, that, uh, are meant to distort your, your memory a little bit so that you don't, you know, remember anything if it's, if it's painful or, uh, traumatic or whatever. Um, so in that aspect, I, I don't have a lot of details from the surgery or immediate recovery that itself too much, but um, uh, the experience itself in, in the hospital and um, the support I got from um, a lot of people. I remember a lot of people visiting, including you, Pastor Zarling. Um, so for that, I'm extremely thankful, um, the support that people show and in prayers and um giving, giving me the, you know, visiting me, um, words of encouragement face to face too. Um, but yeah, just very thankful for the, um, obviously for a, a whole nother in a physical aspect, a whole nother life, um, that God has kind of, kind of granted me. Um, it was looking kind of grim before the surgery. Um, but obviously modern, medication has um god has used modern medication to grant me in a sense another you know an extended lifetime yeah I'm very, very thankful for yeah i remember ben going up to visit you before the surgery up at children's hospital in milwaukee and being colorblind uh even even being colorblind i could still tell you were pretty gray before <laughs> that surgery so one thing too is what did your best man, uh, Ben Sulfur, say about your heart in his best man speech at your wedding? Oh, what was it? Oh, <laughs> it was a good line. It was uh, a good line. I'm, su- I'm surprised you don't remember it. <laughs> you might uh, have to. Uh, I think he said something to the effect of, to, he, he addressed these words to your new bride, Molly, saying, when Ben says to you, I love you with all my heart, just remember that it's not really his heart. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> and then everyone was was dying laughing because that was a great yep. line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, you got anything else you want to ask Ben? No, thank um, thank you for sharing that though. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson then? 
Sure. Um, the gospel today is from his neck and he would be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which one of you who has a servant plowing or taking care of sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Won't the master tell him instead, prepare my supper, and after you are properly dressed, serve me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Okay. Sorry, my internet connection here isn't so great. Uh, so, Ben, how does Jesus impress on us the seriousness of causing sin? Well, in that, um, in those first couple of verses, um, talks about uh, the, tying the millstone around um, the neck and casting them into the sea of, of someone who would lead someone else into, into temptation. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be a very um, very pleasant thing to go through, um, a pleasant way to, a pleasant way to die. So, um, it just shows how serious it is to, to lead someone else in this end that, that, that serious of a, that painful, displeasant of a punishment, um, is the, is the outcome that, that Jesus threatens there. But then Jeremy, isn't Jesus a nice guy? Why would he be so threatening here if he's a nice guy everyone thinks he is? If you look carefully at the way he words this, what he's saying is um, you should rather have this happen than that happen. In other words, um, we, you would think it's not such a big deal to, uh, you know, maybe maybe have a slip of the tongue or, or uh mislead a little child you think well they they can you know somebody else can straighten them out um but jesus is saying actually what you should prefer is uh i always call it a swift and efficient death it's it's basically saying just lord please bring a very quick and very effective uh death to me rather than uh, have me mislead a little child and um it i'd yeah, I don't know what to say to people who say Jesus is just all sunshine and roses. Yeah, because uh, that's that's not what we see here. Yeah, that's not the that's their Jesus. That's not the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of this in a news story I was reading yesterday, uh, because the California governor, Governor Newsom, had put out some billboards promoting abortion in California, and the billboard said. 
need an abortion, California is ready to help. And then it had a Bible passage. Love your neighbor. There is no greater commandment. And uh, John MacArthur, the pastor at Grace Community Church, he wrote a letter to Governor Newsom, and it was just pure fire. I bring it up here because as I was reading Pastor MacArthur's letter to Governor Newsom, it, it was, he was warning Governor Newsom of taking Jesus, it, as bad as uh, that, that sin of abortion is because it's murder, here uh, Governor Newsom was taking Jesus' words and saying he supported the murder of unborn children. And Pastor MacArthur was calling Governor Newsom to repentance, uh, the fires of hell and so forth. And yet, he did call him to repentance, saying, repent now so you don't have those fires, so that you don't have that millstone hung around your neck, so that you can receive forgiveness. And that leads to the next question, Ben. Jesus says to rebuke other sinners, but then he says, if a believer repents to forgive him, why are both of those commands hard, both rebuking and forgiving? Um, yeah, it- it um it doesn't come off as as love um because in the end that that is what the motivation is in rebuking and in and in forgiving the the motivation in the end is love and not just um love for someone else and uh what you what they think is best for themselves or what you think is best for yourself but um true love is is showing what is eternally best for for someone else and so in showing them their sin you're showing them that um god takes sin seriously and so i do too um, because i'm concerned for for your faith or um you know if we're talking with unbelievers a lack of faith so again jeremy i think building on that what would you say to people who say that pointing out and rebuking sin that's not love real love is just letting people do what they want to do that's um not the way that uh, jesus teaches us here i would i would say um and i would also add what you just said about how the the forgiving part is hard too um that that is a that is a hard thing because there's always the fear that if i forgive people or tell them that they're forgiven, that then they will use that to take advantage of me or they'll trample on me uh, or they'll use it as a license to keep on sinning. And I don't want that. Uh, so it, to really give forgiveness full and free is in a lot of ways, it's harder because um, we're all, I, even the unbelieving world is good at, you know, pointing out sin or pointing out uh, offenses against whatever law code Um but the, the hardest thing is to say, I forgive you. And that's, that's what God does for us. Right. And then, you know, Jesus does say that even if he sins against you seven times in a day, uh, if he seems like he's taking advantage of you, just keep on forgiving him. He says, and seven times returns to you and says, I repent, forgive him. So then, Ben, why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith?
Um, I might need some help on this. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Jeremy, why do, why do you think that the disciples then say increase our faith? Because that it, it takes faith to trust that God is forgiving, even when everything looks like he is against us or he is angry with us. Uh, it, it takes faith to, to believe that, um, like when you put yourself in the position of somebody who needs to uh, announce forgiveness to repentant sinners, uh, it, it takes confidence in God's power to realize that these words aren't, aren't going to be abused or just taken advantage of, uh, that the people you're saying this to are going to. It, it, I mean, it's just always good to pray for more faith. Right. What, and I what think, was the answer? What was the answer you were driving at? Uh, well, exactly what you were saying is it is hard to have the faith to go and call people to repentance. We don't want to do that, even as pastors. That's hard. Ben, you'll find that out that it takes a special kind of pastor that wants to do the outreach calls. It takes another kind of special pastor to want to make the elder calls to call your own members to repentance. Mm -hmm. uh, very few of us have the gifts to do both of those things very well and be able to do that very well in, in the pulpit and in the classroom. But then uh, I think it's hard too to think about uh, you know, what God tells us to believe. We, we pray increase our faith so we believe this little infant at the font really is a child of the devil born that way and yet through baptism through some water in god's word becomes a child of god that this little wafer of bread and this little bit of wine is really the body and blood of christ that gives forgiveness of sins new life and salvation uh, i went and i visited one of our members in the hospital this week she had fallen down the stairs and fractured her left leg and then when she was at the bottom of the stairs, she reached up and, and touched her uh, life alert around her neck and 911 called. Uh, the guy said, do you want me to send paramedics? And she said, yes. He asked, do you want me to contact anyone else? And she said, yes. And then her life alert battery died. And yet this lady in the hospital, she said, I, I just feel that this was the hand of God that the angels must have kept me safe, that she didn't fall and break anything else besides her leg or uh, have any other injuries to her head, uh, that God was with her, that the life alert worked well enough to get uh, have enough juice to get to 911. Uh, so even, you know, she could have easily cursed God, and yet she saw God's hand in all of those things. That takes an awful amount of, a very strong faith. And I think for all of us, we can pray, Lord, give me that kind of faith. Uh, so Ben, Jesus' disciples seemed to think he was asking a lot and they needed more faith. How can faith do such great things? You know, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want you to throw mulberry trees in the lakes. That's, it's just an example. That's not what he wants us to do. But what can we do with having lots of faith? Um, yeah, we just had a, a devotion recently um, on the kind of the focus of faith, um, not on the on what we can see physically, um, 
but rather in, in trusting on uh, what we can't see. Um, and so when faith sees, um, you know, the things that we can't see, when, when faith trusts in, in God um, and his promises, the things that haven't come fully to fruition yet, um, that kind of gives us the, the strength to, um, to live and, and to, you know, regarding the physical things, regarding um, work and, and life at home with our family, um, confidence in those invisible things gives us the, the strength to live to God's glory with those, with those physical things, to live out our faith. And then to wrap this text up, uh, Jeremy, why does Jesus tell us to think of ourselves as unworthy servants? Because that is humility. It is thinking of yourself uh, in the right perspective. Um, it's, um, it was kind of like some uh, teachers that we had that presented uh are in service at the at before the school year started. Uh, they, they're teachers who work in urban settings. And um, while on the one hand, when you've got a classroom of rowdy students and then um, they, they suddenly start behaving, um, that's not something that you want to give them. It, what, they, what the teachers were saying is uh, that's not something you want to give them a reward for, like a special reward. You simply want to acknowledge that, oh, you did what you were told to do. And, and you don't even have to make it praising. You don't, you don't have to say, you know, good job, you did what you were told to. But just recognizing you did what you were told to, and, that, and uh, that's a positive step. Um, and then it's, it's for above and beyond type of performance that you want to give a special reward or prize. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. We, we all want... Uh, we all want a, a super duper prize for just doing what we've been told to do. And Jesus says, no, that's your, your unworthy servants. And uh, just doing what you were told to do is uh, that doesn't deserve a, a special reward, but that's how generous God is. He gives us the special rewards, even, even when we did only what we were told to do. Yeah. Uh what you were saying there, Jeremy, reminded me of something my wife Shelley said, uh, being an aide in our middle school at Wisconsin Lutheran School, that she's got a kid that just is acting up in the middle school every day. And yet she said to him and she, that I want the you that you were the first two weeks of school because this you I don't like. And, you know, that was her way of saying exactly what you were saying is. You were doing what you were supposed to do those first two weeks. Now you're not doing that. Uh, and what you said too, Jeremy, about humility as unworthy servants, that's something when I've done marriage counseling, I've really started working with the couple on is that a lot of times, whatever they're arguing about really comes out of a place of pride. But if they can, in humility, put the other person first for the husband to put his wife up on a pedestal for the wife to be the helper, to lift up her husband, his ego and, and whatever it else he needs. Now, if you're thinking of the other person first, now that takes all the juice out of those arguments. So Ben, do you need any marriage counseling? 
<laughs> this is the the Bible is a great place to go. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then what I was thinking too, Ben, I forgot to mention this before when you were answering your question about uh, faith doing such great things. I was thinking of your parents, how they must have had great faith in God, uh, and then you know they were rallying all the the members in our Wisconsin Lutheran School and the members at First Evan and our church at Epiphany as we were praying for you uh, to get better uh, and and the faith to trust that God was going to bless the surgery and get you to where you are today. Anything else you guys want to bring up in the gospel lesson? Otherwise, Jeremy, if you want to get to the second reading. The epistle comes yes. from second, uh, the epistle comes from Second Thessalonians 1, and I'll read some selected verses here. First of all, the author and his companions introduce themselves. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always obligated to thank God for you, brothers, as is fitting, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love that each and every one of you has for one another is increasing. So we ourselves boast about you in God's churches in regard to your patient endurance and faith in all your persecutions and in the trials that you are enduring. This is evidence of God's righteous verdict that resulted in your being counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you also suffer. For this reason, we are always praying for you, that our God will make you worthy of your calling and use his power to fulfill every good desire and work of your faith, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, in keeping with the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a little background on Second Thessalonians that Paul was not able to spend a lot of time in Thessalonica. He was chased out of town by persecution. And that persecution consists or continues for the Christians in that city after Paul is left. And now Paul is writing a letter to, to them, commending them for standing strong and growing together in faith, despite that persecution. So, Jeremy, I'll ask you this question first. Why did the Thessalonians' growth in faith cause Paul so much rejoicing? Because he ran into a lot of uh, setbacks in his mission trips, and this one like you said, I, I think it's interesting to look at the book of Acts and uh, re the recording of that Luke did of this uh, mission work in Thessalonica. Um, and uh, it certainly looked like, by all outward appearances, that the, this would be another setback um, and that he had to leave early and so forth. Uh, and, and so when he saw that it actually took root and took off and uh, blossomed, the gospel did in that town, then that, that was, that's, of course, a reason to be really excited. So I want to encourage our listeners uh, that the hymn devotion that I wrote 
yesterday and recorded and it's on the same Raised with Jesus podcast. It's the hymn, God, uh, brothers, sisters, let us gladly give to God our all our best. And I tied that hymn devotion in with this second lesson from Second Thessalonians and just uh, imagined these Christians who are being persecuted singing that hymn. Ben, what's the natural sinful reaction to persecution? Um, a natural reaction would be to um, either give up or um, start to blame God for um, for the persecutions that are coming. Right. And I think in addition to that, you might even start turning on others, you know, turning others into the right. authorities so that the persecution passes you by. But Ben, what was happening to the Thessalonians instead? Um, instead, they were, you know, increasing in their faith, um, showing showing the fruits of their faith even more. So, Jeremy, I don't know if you've taught this before, uh, maybe in in your Acts class and elsewhere. What do you teach your students, whether they're teenagers or adults, about what persecution does to a church? Persecution from outside versus false doctrine from the inside. Have you ever taught about, about what those two things from the inside or outside can do to the Christian church? First of all, a little bit of a sidebar. I just wanted to point out to the listeners that uh, I am doing this uh, recording at the high school and it is the Friday of homecoming. Um, if things have sounded funny on my end, like when I read the gospel earlier or responded to the conversation earlier, um, I've been going in and off of mute quite a bit because there's sounds coming from the background. If you hear any any ruckus in the background, it's it's homecoming and it's Friday and the game is at 7 p.m. So there's a lot going on. Um, but uh, persecution, um, yes, I teach high schoolers about it. Um, I actually am not teaching the book of Acts this year, but one thing that I would always say about it is that persecution uh, causes the spread of the uh, Christian faith. And so that, that's, that's actually a good thing when we have to suffer for our faith. Um, on the other hand, uh, you, you said, what did you ask about false doctrine? Yeah, false doctrine and the inside of the church. Um, that, that does just the opposite. It is like a disease that's described in the scriptures as gangrene, um, and uh, it, it continues to spread and deteriorate the church from within. So, um, yeah, is that what you were looking for? Yeah, that's exactly what I teach, too. And I think that for our listeners, when we feel that persecution, and we might be starting to feel that persecution now in the American Christian church, is that we shouldn't get so worried about it. I just wrote a children's devotion uh, on this last night where Jesus says in Luke 21 about warning of the last days, he says, watch out for earthquakes and famines and persecution. You know, he says, these are horrifying things, but don't be terrified by them. And then verse 18, he says, not even a hair on your head will be lost. And the object lesson for that children's devotion was a comb or a hairbrush. You know, the Holy Spirit gave me the insight that I had never thought of before. Jesus says, 
you don't have to worry about famines, earthquakes, or even persecution because uh, none of those things are scary. They should be as scary to you as getting your hair messed up. And that shouldn't be uh, scary for us at all. Uh, and in the persecution, we should welcome it because yeah it makes us stronger it grows our faith it grows us together as a christian church but that's why also uh the jesus and his apostles are yeah that's you got your comb there i like that jeremy <laughs> <laughs> but that's why uh jesus and his apostles are so strong in preaching against the dangers of false doctrine because he know they know that false doctrine will tear a church apart from the inside out. So Ben, how did all of this prove that God's verdict was right? Because um, he says, verdict. yeah, let me just read that verse. This is evidence of God's righteous verdict that resulted in your being counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also suffer. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, uh, the fruits of faith idea that I that I kind of refer, referenced before, um, they're showing that um, by the way that they live, um, that they are um, servants of God, right? That they're um, they are being faithful to Him despite um, persecution happening, despite opposition coming their way. They um, they show that what God has done for them. Um, is not in vain. So then, Jerry, what kind of boasting did Paul do in regard to these Thessalonians? Um, what verse are you looking at for that? Uh, verse four. So we ourselves boast about you in God's churches in regard to your patient endurance and faith in all your persecutions and in the trials that you are enduring. I, I would imagine that that sounds like um, just what uh, we often do on this podcast, which is we talk about the experiences that we've had with uh, different churches that we've served or uh, the members of those churches and uh, using them as examples, as good examples of uh, a Christ-centered life. Um, it, it, and you And you're kind of proud of those people that God allowed you the honor of serving with the gospel that uh, you, you think, oh, that, you know, it, it's kind of neat that a lot of times God only lets you remember the good things and uh, you kind of forget about some of the nasty things or if there were any nasty things and, and you just think of what, what a good example they are. But that's really what Jesus does on the last day too when he says, come you who are blessed by my father into the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Uh, he points out all their good things and they're so confused. They're like, what, what gives we, I thought we were sinners and we don't deserve this. And he doesn't say they deserve it, but he says, um, here's all this evidence. Like Ben was saying that I was hungry and you fed me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was in prison and you visited me and so on. So to build on that, I'll, give each of you guys the opportunity to, to think about this is what would you boast about in our Wisconsin Synod? You know, Ben, maybe if you want to think of uh, specifically things going on at the seminary, what you're learning and so forth, Jeremy, anything else? I'll, I'll start out. I think of uh, 
we'll have Pastor Sims on next. Well, we were supposed to have Pastor Sims on next week from Christian Aid and Relief. But he messaged me today that he is swamped because of Hurricane Ian. And, uh, you know, I learned two weeks ago that with everything going on in Ukraine, that our Wells people gave uh, the Lutheran Church in Ukraine through Christian Aid and Relief one and a half million dollars. Okay, and I'm interested to see how much money is going to pour in for our churches uh, and their members down in Florida through Christian Aid and Relief. And that's, that's a huge thing. Uh, this Sunday uh, at Water of Life, I've got Pastor Buski that's coming, and he's at Lighthouse Ministries in Milwaukee. So they work with our high schoolers that are from public schools and then be able to share God's word with them after school as they come to different uh, campuses around the Milwaukee area to to do homework and so forth. And Pastor Buski says that his sermons, kind of an outreach type sermon to let uh other members around the church body know what that ministry does and what that lighthouse ministry accomplishes in the lives of these young people. So Ben, what can you think of about boasting about the seminary? Uh, so we just recently had a uh, symposium on, on compassion ministries. Um, so what you were just mentioning with um, Christian aid and relief, um, and there's also, you know, a lot of other resources that, that our church body provides um, that that seek to help people who who are in need. Um, and we talked about in the in the symposium the, the couple essays that we heard um, talked about um, showing compassion to people and and how Jesus has has given the church a responsibility to do that too. Um, and we see that increasing more and more in, in what we do. Um, and that's definitely something to be proud of. Um, but I think the probably the biggest thing as a student at the seminary that um, we can kind of boast about, um, not in a self-righteous way, um, but more so in a, in a thankful way. I'm thankful to God that um, we, we have this um, doctrine that we follow um, that, that comes from scripture um, and not, not from any other source. And that's what's being taught and learned um, at our seminary. Then, um, yeah. Well, before we go on uh, away from the seminary, so Jeremy or Ben, have the professors there ever talked to you guys about some guy that had come to the seminary? This is long before I was there that he had come and observed the classes at the seminary. And then he derisively said that the seminary was like turning out sausages. Have your professors ever told that story to you guys? I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't, yeah, it was more of a online blog that, uh, that he, he made that comment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, do you remember, you know, he was trying to rip on the seminary on, and calling us sausages, but the way the professors turn it is us being sausages, isn't really a bad thing. Right. You remember that and why uh, that is. 
just the, just the idea of consistency and that you you can uh, expect a, a similar quality uh, throughout. Is that yeah. what you're getting at? Yeah, I think the guy was making the point because we all kind of look the same. Uh, we all had the same kind of haircuts and and so forth. We all kind of talked the same, you know mainly Midwesterners and so forth, looked and talked and so forth the same. And yet it's what you were saying, Jeremy, and the professors made that point. No, we are proud that we're the same, not that we look or sound the same, but we have that same doctrine that Ben was talking about, that every one of these young men that graduates from the seminary at 26 to 27 years old, usually they have that same training, that same doctrine, so that when they go out and are in the gospel ministry in grade schools, high schools, colleges, mission fields, uh, long established congregations and so forth. It is exactly that same message. And that's a blessing. Uh, we should, we should boast about that. Jeremy, what, what are you thinking of in our church by that we can boast about? Uh, I kind of think of the conferences and in particular, um, I'm going to think I'm going to mention uh, the worship conference that we've had uh, for uh, several decades now. I think I think it started in the mid to late '90s. Um, that every three years we have a conference on worship music and the arts, and it is the largest conference of its kind, maybe even the only conference of its kind uh, within Lutheranism, and we are drawing. Uh, on a regular basis, we, we get people from uh, non-Wells uh, denominations that come to it because they're just interested to hear what we have to say about worship and why we do what we do and how we do it. And then I'll add to that um, one that I'm kind of excited about. I'm signed up for this January is the uh, Lutheran Leadership Conference. They had their first one back in, uh, I think it was 2020. Uh, it was right before covid became a thing. And um, uh, the reason I'm bringing that one up is uh, because it was so widely attended, they had to start a wait waiting list if you didn't get signed up right away. Um, it was pretty popular. And so you can see there's a lot of interest in our national church body on the topic of leadership. And the other thing that I wanted to say about that is just that um, the coordinator for it, Pastor Hine, he told us, I think it was at the end of the conference, that um, it, it was held at the, um, oh, what hotel was that in Chicago? I think it was the Marriott or Hilton. It was some, it was some really nice, fancy-named hotel. And um, Pastor Hine told the group at the end of the conference that we were getting all kinds of compliments from the host hotel staff and all of the people, the, the workers, uh, the food people and so forth were just really impressed with how friendly everybody was and how uh, easy to work with and, and uh, nice our, our group was for such a large conference that it was very enjoyable for the workers to do their job. And um, I, I think that's, that's something worth highlighting. Sure. And uh, I'll highlight one last thing, too, is I was at our Synod office, the Center for Mission and Ministry, two or three weeks ago for our board for missions meetings. And our 
board for omissions administrator, had the 12 district presidents, I'm, I'm the Southeast Wisconsin district, pres, district mission board president. We went around the room and he asked, how many new starts do we wanna bring to the board for omissions for a request for funding in spring of 2020, 2023? and enhancements. So that's helping an established congregation with a three-year of funding to do some new mission. Because we are embarking this year on, and for the next decade, 100 new starts and 75 enhancements in the next 10 years. And we went around the room and there were 36 new starts and uh, 17 enhancement requests that the 12 missions uh, in our 12 districts wanna bring in 2023. That's huge. Uh, 36 brand new missions. Uh, one of those from our district, four enhancements from our district. Uh, we'll have to answer the questions of where is the funding going to come from? Where's the manpower going to come from? But it's exciting that our people want to do this mission work. And that's, that's something to boast about. The last thing I have for you guys, uh, and Jeremy, maybe you can finish up with this one. Right at the end, Paul says, uh, for this reason, we're praying for you that God will make you worthy of your calling and use his power to fulfill every good desire and work of faith. Why did the Thessalonians need God's power to fulfill every good desire and work of their faith? Because if it depends on them, then they are going to uh, fail. And uh, it's it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit that we are called in the first place and that we are converted and that we uh, maintain our faith and stay strong in it. That's all the working of the Holy Spirit. And, that, uh, and then if we die in our faith, that's also only the working of the Holy Spirit that does that. So uh, that's that's why. Right. Yeah, because our sinful flesh only wants what's evil. And so we need the, the means of grace. We need baptism to, for God to give us that desire to make us a child of God, using God's word so that we want what God wants and fulfill his will. We need that Lord's Supper to strengthen our faith, uh, to work with our new man. So anything you guys want to bring up yet on these two two lessons, Ben or Jeremy? No. Nope. I think I've pretty well I've pretty well said everything I need to say. All right. Well, thanks Ben for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the the conversation and definitely um, learned learned a lot from it. Hopefully those listening will be able to gain from it too. And now you can brag to all of your seminary classmates and the professors, because we've had like one seminary <laughs> professor and one seminary student. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to, to boast about that on Monday when I, when I there see you go. You can, yeah, that's, <laughs> there you go. That's a good sanctified boasting. I like it. <laughs> all right. So this is Michael Zarling with Ben Reckley and lighten up. Let the one who is thirsty come. But the one who wants the water of life, take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>